Over the course of the past year or so, I've noticed a number of news stories regarding some folks who have lived their lives according to, at least of late, some very certain and definitive and strongly held beliefs. But when suddenly coming face to face with their own passing, they were willing to not only compromise, but to throw out and to abandon all of those very same beliefs and convictions that they had so strongly held on to. And I thought, how sad. Because if you live your life, if anybody lives their life, spends this brief earthly time that we have devoted to something that has no power whatsoever to help you when you face your own death and eternity, then doesn't that beg the question, was it really worth devoting your life to while you were here? And it could be anything, anything. This just got me to thinking. If you spend your life devoted, convicted, serious about something, you give yourself to it, but then it comes your own inevitable passing again, and it has no power to help you. Was it really worth devoting your life to? And as I considered that question, and I, and I thought about some of the fruitless things, some of the futile, powerless pursuits that, that can't help you as you get near the end of this earthly life, I, I began to think by contrast about men like the Apostle Paul, about men like the Lord Jesus Christ himself, whose beliefs and pursuits and convictions in life while they were here became the source of so much infinitely greater power and peace and comfort and conviction as they came face to face with their own deaths and demise. And so tonight, in a lesson that is sort of, more or less, a, a follow-up to last Sunday morning's sermon, Be Faithful Unto Death, I want to take a look at how a life that is lived in full conviction of and devotion to what the Lord God of heaven said and did, how a life like that is able to provide absolutely unparalleled peace and comfort and power, and even, in a lot of ways, joyful anticipation as one nears their own time to leave here to head for the halls of eternity. Tonight, I want to consider three elemental truths which all such empowering convictions have in common. We're going to look at these three aspects from both the life of the Lord Jesus Christ as well as the Apostle Paul, and then discuss how those can be fully integrated or experienced in our own lives as we come face to face, as we all will, unless the Lord comes back and takes us home before then, as we all face our inevitable appointment to leave this earth. Number one. 
The Lord Jesus Christ, as well as the Apostle Paul, both truly knew the God of the Bible. Number one, they both truly knew the God of the Bible. They did not know or believe in or follow some, some false man-made understanding of God. They did not believe in or know or come to follow some image or man-made understanding of God whom they or somebody else had either dreamt up or dumbed down or created in their own mind or imagination. They knew the God of the Bible. In John 7, 28 and 9, Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple saying, you both know me and you know where I am from. I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom, listen to this, whom you do not know, but I know him. Jesus, he said, I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. Jesus time and again would tell us he knew the God of the Bible, the God of heaven. In John 8, 54 and 5, he said, it is my father who honors me, of whom you say he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I have known him. And if I say I do not know him, I'll be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Jesus would, would say again and again, I know him. I know God. And just a note before moving on, knowing God means knowing and keeping his word, just as Jesus said right there in John 8 and verse 55. But that's something that we'll look into a little bit more deeply as the sermon unfolds. When we talk about knowing God, it is important that we understand what that does not mean and what it does mean. Knowing God does not mean knowing about God. And leave it at that. Knowing God does not mean just knowing of God and leaving it at that. Truly knowing God is a spiritually deep, deeply intimate, and intimately personal level of knowing God. It's, it's the same idea that we see with uh, texts like Genesis, in Genesis 4 and verse 1, it says, and Adam knew his wife Eve. Now, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden he came to know who she was. He'd known who she was for a long time. He knew her on, an, on a deep, intimate, personal level. It's the same thing that we see in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 25, where Joseph did not know Mary until after the, the child was born, did not know her. He's not talking about it. he had no clue who she was. He knew who she was. He knew of her, he knew about her, but he didn't know her in the most, in the most intimate, personal way. And, and, and when we talk about knowing God, there's a spiritual intimacy there. We would note this from the fact that Jesus would often say, that he and the Father were what? I and the Father are one. Luke 10 and verse 22, John 10 and verse 30. Being one with somebody carries with it the idea of being inseparable. The idea of thinking alike, acting in unity and harmony, that's, that's the idea of being one. I, I, I am that same person, I am one with them. Jesus truly knew the God of the Bible. Now, the Apostle Paul did as well, not on as deeply an intimate spiritual level, 
because obviously the Apostle Paul was not one with God in the same way that Jesus was, but, but he still knew him. He knew him on a very deep, spiritual, intimate level as well. We note this from 2 Timothy 1 and verse 12. He begins there in verse 8 of 2 Timothy chapter 1 by saying this, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Verse 11, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. Verse 12, for this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed for I know. There it is, just like the song we sing. I know, Paul says, whom I have believed. It wasn't that he just knew of God. It wasn't that he just knew about God. Paul knew, knew God. He said, but I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded he is able to keep that which I have committed to him until that day. Paul said, I know God so well that I know come judgment day what I have committed to him, it's all, it's all okay. God's got this. I know him that well. I know that it's hell there for me. I know my reward is sure. I know God. We see it in other writings of his. For example, in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 1, he says, For we know that if this earthly house, uh, if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He, he knew that. Listen, do you think Paul could have gone through all the things and all the times that he faced death in his life if he did not know for sure the God of heaven and keep on preaching the God of heaven? Paul knew God. He knew that there was something waiting for him in heaven. Paul understood the importance of putting the highest, the absolute highest of priorities on obtaining such a deep, abiding, spiritually intimate knowing of God that he wrote to the brethren in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 2, for I determined to know nothing amongst you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said, it's all I wanted to know amongst you. It's all I wanted to share, this, this deep knowledge I have. And, and I want you to remember that <clears throat> the Apostle Paul had known a lot of things in his life. Consider some of the things that he had known. He had known some things that, quite frankly, a lot of human beings would never know the equivalent of. He knew things on a level that, that a lot of people would never experience. For example, Paul knew what it was like to have more legitimate confidence in his earthly family heritage and ethnic history than almost any other man of his age would be able to boast. Philippians 3 and verse 5. The Apostle Paul knew what it was like to have benefited from the greatest education possible in his generation, Acts 22 and verse 3. 
The Apostle Paul knew what it was like to have achieved one of the highest levels of religious accomplishment possible in his day. Philippians 3.5, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. The top of the top, the cream of the crop. The Apostle Paul knew what it was like to be able to walk into a room full of the religious elite of his day and immediately be recognized as the greatest, most zealous, and most accomplished and righteous amongst them. Philippians 3, verses 6 and 7. He knew what that was. Can you imagine that? You walk into a room of, of, of whether it's religious elite or, or any other elite, some of the most knowledgeable people in the world in your particular field. Be it, can you imagine walking into a room of you know, where people from Microsoft are sitting there and you walk into a room and immediately they all know that you know far more than any of them and that you do better with computers and electronics than any of them could ever think of doing. I mean, we can't imagine. When Paul walked into a room of religious people, he knew what it was like. Again, Philippians 3, 6, and 7, to be the most zealous, the most flawless amongst them. He said in verse 6, Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. I mean, that's who he was. But take a look, where I originally asked you to open to in Philippians 3, take a look at what he said, knowing all those earthly things was worth when compared to really knowing the God of heaven before it came his time to leave this world. Philippians 3, 7, he said. But what things were gained to me. All those things that he had known on a first-hand level. These I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge. And he's not just talking knowing about him or knowing of him, but the knowledge, the, the, all of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Why, Paul? That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship. He says, I want to be one with him in the power of his resurrection. I want to be one with him in, in the fellowship of his sufferings. I, I want to I be conformed to his death. Why? if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. I want to know God so strong. That's why nothing else matters. That's why nothing, everything else takes a back seat. That's why everything else is rubbish compared to, to knowing God on that level. Why, Paul? So that when my time comes to leave this planet, I will have that peace and that comfort and that security and that knowledge of God. That's what he says, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And if we are going to have that same irreversible comfort and confidence and conviction and assurance and security and peace when it comes our time to leave this planet, as both he and Jesus had when it came their time to leave, then we must place the highest of priorities on coming to truly know 
on a personal and ever-deepening level. It's the God of the Bible. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 11. That's one of the reasons Jesus came, you know. Jesus came. One of the, the, the greatest reasons he came for was so that he could show us exactly who and how and what God is so that we could know God on a deep level. And, and Jesus admitted as much. He told us in John 8 and verse 19. It says, then they said to him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. The reason he came was to show us God so we could know God. Look what he says in John 14. Please turn there. John 14, beginning at verse 7. Jesus is there that night with, with his apostles. He's washed their feet. We know the story. And, and, and he's there that last evening just before he's arrested a few hours later. And he says in verse 7, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father. And it's sufficient. Good old Philip, he said, it'd be enough if you'd really show us to him. And look what Jesus said. He said, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus came so we could truly know God and, and experience God and, and understand the love and the mercy and the faithfulness and the compassion of God. That's why he came, to show us that. The writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 1.3, according to the New American Standard Version, that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his power. Jesus is the exact representation of God. He's God in the flesh. Did you know that knowing God is eternal life? Knowing God is eternal life. That's why it's so important that we know God. John 17 and verse 3, Jesus said that. So in order to have that same kind of comfort and confident assurance of our convictions come our day to depart this earth, we must not only know, number one, the God of the Bible, as we have discussed, but we must also know, number two, the Bible of God, that is, the Word of God. You see, Paul and Jesus, who both had such peace as they prepared to leave this earth, they did not know or follow or believe in some man-made teaching or standard regarding God that they or somebody else had dreamt up or dumbed down or created in their own mind or imagination. They knew the Bible of God. They knew the Word of God. Now, of course, when I say know the Bible, I not only mean know it, because some people got a lot of knowledge, but they're not Christians. So when I use the term come to know the Bible, that means not only knowing what it says, but because we know it, believing and obeying it as well. Because my thought is this, how is it possible to know the Bible and yet not trust God enough to do what he said. If, if, you, if you look through the Bible, if you know the Bible, you're an avid Bible student and you, 
you read through and you see how God treated people and you see his love and his mercy and his compassion and his grace and, and all of those things. But then you see people that, that didn't obey him and gave those things up and they made a choice not to accept his love and mercy and compassion and, and you see what happened to them and, and you see this throughout the Bible and you really know the Bible then, then how can you possibly know the Bible without trusting God enough to do what God said? You see, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So if we know the Bible and we hear the word of God and we take in the word of God, then that develops our faith and that faith should lead to obedience. We would notice that from a number of passages, Romans 10, 17, Mark 16, 15 through 16, and others. Now, Jesus, for example, Jesus did this. Jesus, of course, being the very walking, talking, living, and breathing word of God in the flesh, always knew the word and did what it said. He did his Father's will. Whole reason that he came, John 5, 30, John 6 and verse 38. He said, I, I came to do my Father's will. He knew it and he did it. He did this because he knew that the word of God is everlasting life. Just like knowing God is eternal life, John 17, 3, knowing his word is eternal life. Scriptures tell us this. Turn to me to John chapter 12. Verses 44 through 50. John 12, 44 through 50. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. Now this goes right back to what we just talked about, right? Knowing God. The reason we can know God is because we know Jesus, and Jesus is God exactly. We, we've talked, and we see that here as well. But then he says, I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. His trip here that time was to save the world, not, not to pass judgment, not to come in judgment, not what we call the second coming. Then he says this, he says, verse 48, he who rejects me and does not receive my words, notice that if you reject either his word, if you reject his words, you reject him. If you reject him, you reject his words. It's a package deal. These people want Jesus, but they don't want the Bible. It doesn't work that way. Because to reject him is to not receive his words. And he says, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command what I should say and what I should speak. Here it comes. And I know that his command is everlasting life. God's word is everlasting life. That is why we must know God's word in order to know that we have everlasting life. They're synonymous. Jesus said, therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. Jesus told us. He said that if we would but abide in and obey his word, we'd live in it, we'd know it, we'd come to abide there, that then we would truly be his disciples, that its truth would set us free, and that it would give us eternal life. John 8. 31 and 2, John 14, verse 15, 
and particularly 1 John chapter 5, 11 through 13. We see the same thing in the life of the Apostle Paul. We see that, that he not only knew the God of the Bible, but he also knew the Bible of God, the Word of God. When he was first initially told what he must do to be saved, what did he do? He immediately, when he heard the Word of God, he immediately arose and went and did it. He was baptized to have his sins washed away, calling on the name of the Lord, Acts chapter 22 and verse 16. But then what did he do? Then what did he do? Just like we talked about this morning, coming to Jesus is more than believing and repenting and being baptized. You remember we talked about from Matthew chapter 11 that coming to Jesus, he explains in the next verse, if we don't want to be weary and heavy laden, involves learning from him and taking his yoke upon us in that work and that service and that learning, okay? That's exactly what Paul did. He not only obeyed the word when he heard it, but he went on from that point to live in the word of God to live out the word of God, and to live for what he knew the word of God promised. 1 Corinthians 15.10, Galatians 2.20, 2 Timothy 3.14 through 4.5, and others. Thirdly and finally, the reason that both Jesus and the Apostle Paul could face their inevitable appointment with their departure from this planet was not only because number one they knew the God of the Bible and not only number two because they knew and believed and obeyed the Bible of God but because of those two things number three they knew and understood without a doubt exactly where they were going when they did leave this earth. Because they knew the God of the Bible and they knew the Bible, a word of God, they knew exactly where they were going without a shadow of a doubt when they left this earth. It wasn't based on some false man-made thing that they had learned. They weren't listening to some man-made teaching. They knew because they knew God and they knew his word exactly where they were going. And not only did that give them great peace and comfort, but even caused them to look forward to it with some level of anticipation. First off, consider Jesus. Jesus knew where he was going. He said in John 8 and verse 14, I know where I came from and where I am going. No doubt in his mind. Listen, if you think Jesus for one split second of his time on this earth did not know completely where he was going when he left here, then you don't know the Jesus of the Bible. He knew, every, he knew where he was going. He was confident in it. He was, con he was convicted of God's will. He was going to do God's will. No matter, when he prayed three times, take this cup from me, not my will but thine be done. He comes out of the garden, he's ready to go and do it. No matter what, he's going to do the will of God. And so he said, I know where I'm going. John 8, 14. He also told us in John 14, verse 12, and John 16, verse 10, I go to my father. I go to my father. There was no doubt in his mind. It wasn't a mystery. It wasn't something he doubted. And, and, and just answer in your own heads, 
don't you know that Jesus had to have had peace as he approached the cross? You don't see him lashing out in anger or it's not fair or anything as we've talked about in the Sunday morning Bible class which has really impacted my life of late and some of the things that we've covered. Jesus, from the moment that he came out of the garden was the one the most at peace, the most in control, the most comforted of anybody he faced, of all of the people that were around him from that point on. Complete confidence. Because as he said, he knew where he was going. He was going to the Father. He also told us in John 14 verses 2 and 3 the following. He said, a very familiar passage, but I want to take something out of it that maybe we don't normally think about. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. He knew of whence he spoke. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, then I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. This, this text proves that he not only knew where he was going, but he also knew where he was going when he left this earth, but he also knew what he was coming back to do and where he was going to take us. He knew that, no doubt in his mind. And, and you, can, you can sense his anticipation of, of returning back to his father as you read passages like John 14, 27 and 28, where he said, peace I leave with you. Jesus had peace that night. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Jesus wants us to have the same peace facing the same circumstance, facing all circumstances, but that one too. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Listen to this. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said I am going to the, my father. For my father is greater than I. Have you ever wondered about that statement? If you love me, you would rejoice because I said I am going to the father. When we are really close with somebody and they've got some big event in their life that is coming up that they just are wanting, their, their, their vacation, whatever. They're going to, to, to some faraway place and, and they want to go really, really bad. Are we supposed to be happy for them? Typically we are, right? Somebody, you, you, take, you take a couple who on their, their 50th wedding anniversary gets to go someplace that they've always dreamt of going and, and never gone and we're really close to that couple. Maybe it's our own parents, who knows, okay? But we get to that point, are we happy for them? Are we supposed to rejoice for them because they're finally getting to do, right? Jesus says, if you love me, you'd rejoice because I said I'm going to the Father. Why? Because going to the Father was what Jesus wanted to do. He wanted to go home. He was going to be happy about it. He knew where he was going. He knew what he was going to do when he got there. And he was pleased. And so he wanted them to rejoice with him. We can see this same exact thing in the life of the Apostle Paul. Because he knew the God of the Bible and because he believed and obeyed the Bible of God, the Apostle Paul, a human being, not, not God in the flesh, even though he was 100% human too, but a human being like you and I, one who bled and died and hurt and got broken bones and all of those things like you and me, he knew where he was going too and he had this incredible peace about it. 
as the time approached, he knew exactly where he was going and what a glorious and unspeakably more beautiful life awaited him once he left this earth. Turn to me to 2 Corinthians, a passage that I know we touched on this morning, but I want to carry it just a little bit further. In the context of this knowing where he was going, knowing how much better it was going to be when he got there. Apostle Paul, I believe, actually anxiously anticipated heaven. Do we anxiously anticipate heaven? I mean, none of us wants to, I understand, none of us wants to go out here and rush our own demise. That's not at all what I'm saying. Please don't take that the wrong way. But what I am saying is, should we look forward to when God takes us home? Shouldn't we? No more prayer lists. No more nursing homes. No more hospitals. No more funeral homes. Don't that sound pretty cool? We should be anticipating that. And Paul was. He said, 2 Corinthians 4.16, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, I have to almost chuckle inside when I read Paul writing about light affliction, which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heaven. Did Paul know? Did he know? No doubt in his mind. He knew where he was going because he knew the God of the Bible and the Bible of God. Look at Philippians 1. Philippians 1. Beginning at verse 19. He says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now verse 20 of Philippians 1. According to my earnest expectation and hope, there's that hope again, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in this flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor, yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. From hard press between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, be with Christ which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul have a peace and an anticipation of what being with Jesus in a place where Satan could not touch him existed. And he tells us what he does in 2 Timothy as well. Please turn there. I know they're familiar verses, but again, 2 Timothy 4. He knew where he was going. And he knew what waited for him. And he wrote so much of our New Testament to tell us that we can know too and we can be sure of it. In fact, this passage talks to you and me. 
He says in 2 Timothy 4, verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. Paul was facing his own death, and he knew it. And he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished a race. I have kept the faith. Paul knew. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. Jesus himself, he said, is going to give me that. And I know it's there. I fought the good fight. I finished her. I've kept the faith. I finished the race. I've done it. Time of my departure is right here. And, and the Lord himself, the righteous judge is going to give me that crown of righteousness. He's going to give me that eternal life in heaven. Paul knew. He said, but notice what he said. He will give it to me on that day and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. He said, listen, if you're anticipating that and you know that that's waiting for you, God's got one for you too. He knew. Look what he says in verse 18. He says, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. I don't care how many bazillions of dollars somebody has. I don't care what they've amassed in their life. I am still saddened when I hear of anyone who is about to depart from this planet, when they're in their final days and hours, that they come to the realization that everything that they have pursued in this life, everything they have become convicted of, convinced of, they have chased, they have pursued, they have devoted themselves to, cannot afford them one iota of peace or comfort, one iota of knowing that they need to have on that day. Some people will, will be willing to surrender anything and everything that they have been convicted of and devoted themselves to living and spreading in this life. But at the same time, brethren, I am so grateful, I am so grateful to God when I realize that a life devoted to knowing and obeying the God of the Bible and the Bible of God enables anyone to know for certain without a shadow of a doubt exactly where they are going the day they depart from this brief, brief earthly phase of life. Can we know? Can we know? John said, these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. 1 John 5, 11 through 13. And when one who has lived such a life comes to their final days or hours on this planet, not only are they not willing to surrender everything they have devoted their life to, but everything they have devoted their life to and become fully convicted of gives them a peace and a comfort and an assurance that the world can't take away. That, that, that their passing can't take away. They know God, they know his word, and they know what's waiting for them because of the blood of Jesus Christ. What a, what a peace-giving thing that is. The only thing that is going to matter in that day 
is therefore the only thing that should be our top priority and truly matter each and every day. Because the priority it receives every other day determines its power level to carry us through our final day. I am so grateful to know the God of the Bible. What little knowledge that I have to know the Bible of God, to have the opportunity to grow in that knowledge each day, and to know, because I know those two things, where I am going. That is not an arrogant comment, I assure you before God. That is a comment based upon what God's word says in his goodness and faithful assurance. What about you tonight? Do you know the God of the Bible, really? Do you know the Bible, the word of God? Not every little bit of it, because you can spend 10 lifetimes and still not scratch a surface. But do you know what the Bible says about being saved and, and about God's grace and mercy and, and how to receive that and then how to live in it and to live a life devoted to God? Yes, you're gonna make mistakes. All of us do, yes, you are. That's why 1 John is in there where it talks about that if we confess our sins, he's writing to those in fellowship with God, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to continue to cleanse us of sins. He knows you're gonna make mistakes, but do you know the Bible of God? Do you know for certain, as one who is walking in the light, who's had their sins forgiven, where you're going? Because I'll tell you, those three things will carry you through even the end of this, and especially the end of this earthly life as your departure grows nearer. Tonight, if you don't know the God of the Bible, you don't know the Bible as well as you should, we can set up a Bible study. If you don't know for sure where you're going, we can set up a Bible study. We can pray for you to be stronger. Whatever we can do, we're willing to do. Do you want to know how to have that peace? If there's anything we can do for you right now, please come to the front as we stand and sing.